0: All right, Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. We're gonna start a new series this morning. And uh, if you didn't get a handout on the way in, you can put your hand up and somebody will get you a hard copy. The PDFs, the digital copies, are on the social links. Just keep your hand up till they find you. But you can take digital notes at uh, YouTube and Facebook and mbtkc.org. Okay, so we're gonna look at Genesis. This is the book of beginnings and we need to see where everything began if we're gonna have insight on where everything's heading. If we wanna understand when we are, why we are, where we are, we need to see where everything has come from. A Lot of weird stuff going on in the world today. So where, what's it falling out to? Where is it heading? There's so much turmoil in the world today and so people need answers, so we need, to, we need to look at the book of beginnings so that we can get those answers and help people. So turn to your neighbor and tell him, get on the bus, boy, or get on the, get on the bus, girl, it's time to go to school. And then if you're ready to work, I'm ready to pray for you and we'll, we'll get into Genesis 1 verse 1. We're only gonna cover one verse this morning, there's so much there at this rate. Uh, We'll finish Genesis about the time I turn 83. Uh, We start slow, we'll pick up speed as we go through the book. Father, Lord, I ask you in Jesus' name that God you'd open our understanding, open our hearts and our minds. God help us to be able to see your word for what it is. Lord, we don't want to be guilty of just approaching it as an intellectual exercise. There's a lot of there's a lot of concepts to get our heads around this morning and I just pray for your grace for that and Lord, at the end of the day, we wanna be doers. We, wanna, we want your word to impact our lives and change who we are for your glory. And so God, help us this morning. I pray that you'd take the weakness of my flesh and, the, and my stumbling lips and Lord, in spite of all of that, just set that aside and through the power of your word and Lord, through the understanding and conviction of your spirit, have your way with every heart Here this morning, I pray in Christ's name, amen. All right, first blank in your notes, who wrote the book of Genesis? Who wrote it? Moses, Moses. Moses. And yet, the reason that the Bible gives us that Genesis is in the Bible, right? The reason we have Genesis as a more sure word of prophecy that we would do well to take heed to is that holy men of old, Moses spake as he was moved by the Holy Ghost, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. This book of the Bible, we have it because the Holy Ghost, God used Moses to give it to us. The name of the book, Genesis, it really comes from the first word in the book of Genesis, which is translated in English as, in the beginning. This Hebrew word just In the beginning is just another way of saying the first whether it's used to describe the first whether it's in place or time or order or rank. Now the book isn't called beginnings it's called Genesis and we get that word from the Greek. The Greek word is literally just transliterated as English and the Greek word is Genesis with a funny accent and, and now we have it. So it's the book of beginnings or the origin. Exodus shows us You know, Moses, five books, man. He gave us Exodus to show the birth of Israel, Leviticus to show how God gave his word to the nation, Numbers to record the wilderness wanderings, and then Deuteronomy to review the law. But Genesis is where we find out that God's the origin, the origin of everything. He is the creator of all. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. There it is. Now notice how the word of God starts out. Notice that God gives no apologetics for his existence. By the way, you don't do that either. People say, why doesn't the Bible start out with proofs for the existence of God? Well, nobody does that. No, you've never walked up to anybody in your life and said, let me make sure you understand all the reasons that I'm alive and I'm significant and why you can't ignore me. No no one said that, okay? Nobody does that, so it's the same with God. He doesn't, nobody tries to prove that they exist. So God doesn't do that either. Yet people ask, where are the proofs for God? And when people are intellectually honest, here's how it's supposed to work, okay? This is what Genesis 1-1 is pointing us to. The fact of creation. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The fact of creation should lead you to the revelation of the creator. It's your next set of notes or blanks. The fact of creation should inevitably lead you to the creator. Psalms 19 describes the process. Verse one says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. So creation itself is preaching to everyone. It's showing the proof of the creator. Look at verse two. Day and day, the heavens, the firmament, is showing the design. It's showing proofs for the creator. Day unto day they utter speech, the Bible says, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world in them. So here the word of God is declared, people ask all the time, you know, God's not fair. What about the person? in the remotest reaches of the world where civilization has never reached, where people have never heard the name of Jesus, what about them? If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life and no one can get to God, but by, it's but through Christ alone that you can have a relationship with the Father and and, and for the people that never heard the name of Jesus, well that's just not fair. And so they like to look at it from man's perspective, from creation's perspective, from God's perspective, the whole of creation, the whole of the cosmos, is a giant billboard declaring the Creator. If you're intellectually honest about what you see in creation, it will lead you to the right conclusions. In the heavens, he's set a tabernacle for the sun, and that's going to teach you something, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoiceth as a strong man to run the race, run a race. You're supposed to see a picture in the heavens of the person of Christ himself. His going forth is from the end of heaven, and his circuits unto the ends of it. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. You cannot escape the face of the sun. It covers the whole of the earth. So what's supposed to happen, okay, is you're supposed to look at creation and say, Now a lot of people will say isn't it magnificent that all of this order and fine tuning for life to be possible, isn't it amazing how that came out of complete and total chaos, completely by accident? All of this something just came out of nothing and and fine tuned itself so that we can live and move and have our being. We're gonna see that's a foolish conclusion in a moment. The evidence of the creator is built into creation itself. Nobody ever walked into this building and said, isn't it a beautiful building that came out? When was the earthquake that hit Kansas City that caused this edifice to be erected? Out of the chaos of just random events, this beautiful edifice rose up That's that's just how amazing that this just, no, nobody's ever said that ever. You walk in and you see, and a a building is relatively simple compared to the rest of creation. But you walk in and you know, somebody had an idea, they hired some people to design and engineer the, 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 the blueprints for this building, and then what happened? They hired a bunch of people who put in a lot of sweat and work and labor, and they built this thing with blood, sweat, and tears, and a whole lot of cash. Okay, That's how they put it together. It has obvious design, so you know there was an intellect behind the building of the building, so also with creation. The proofs for the creator are built into the design of the universe. And so, if you're at the edges of civilization in a place where the name of Christ has never been heard, What creation is shouting to all is there is a creator. So the natural conclusion is I know there's a creator and he is big, he is massive. It's wonderful what he's done. I wonder what he wants out of my life. That's supposed to be the next question. And as you study... All of the evidences for creation, there is one line of information, there is one, there is one, uh, there is one uh, track of information that stands alone. Notice in Psalm 19, verse seven, the creation of God, we find out, should inexorably, right, inexorably, it should lead you to the word of God. So you see creation and you see how nothing is hid from the face of the sun. Right, there is light, there is illumination, there is revelation, the heavens are declaring it. It, The firmament is showing his design, his handiwork. That should lead you to the word of God. There is no book like this book in all of quote unquote sacred literature. This book, the proof for divine, I mean just the divine handiwork of God in getting us this Bible Obviously holy men of old spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost because the only way anybody could have ever written this book is they had to know the end from the beginning. Somebody outside of space time who knows how it's all gonna end up came back and from the beginning declared it all. It is full of fulfilled prophecies. The proofs, the evidences for the, 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 the supernatural source of this information. It's mind boggling. This book is like no other book. Somebody had to know, somebody from the future wrote it. <laughs> That's the only way you can get the Bible. And this is, what, this is what Psalm 19 tells us, that the word of God, the law of the Lord is perfect and it'll convert your soul, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. You can find out what your Creator's will is for your life in the Word of God. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Just like the sun enlightens the whole of creation, so also the words of the Creator. Enlighten the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The word of God, verse 10, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Everybody's making a run on silver right now. Can I just show you where you can get some great gold? And you can get this gold without price. Just get your nose in this book. It's sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover by them, by the words of God, moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there's great reward. That's what creation should teach you. There is a creator and you can know, you can be enlightened as to his will for your life. It will convert your soul and you'll learn how to live in light of his expectations. So in Genesis chapter one verse one we find out in the beginning there is a creator. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. How do I know there's a creation? Well I just look, or how do I know there's a creator? Well I just look at creation and I can say well duh. Of course there's a creator. All of this massive something of the cosmos didn't just happen. No one alive today gets to ignore that there is a creation because creation itself is shouting the truth of him to you. A person would have to be foolish on purpose not to get that and yet Psalms 19 verse one says, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Well why does he say that? Well just keep reading and it tells you why the fool says there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There's none that doeth good. So Psalms 14 verse 1 clues you in to an atheistic mindset. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Kind of gives you some insight into April 1st, doesn't it? There's a national holiday. I'll let you work that out. You see the same progression in Romans chapter one. Creation should lead everyone to the fact of the creator. We'll see it again in John chapter one. But look at Romans one verse 18. The Bible says, and again Psalm 19, by the word of God the servant is warned. Well creation is also warning. Romans one verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. They know what's right, but they refuse it. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God showed it unto them. Again, Psalm 19, he's, he's made sure that the cosmos, creation itself, the heavens are declaring the creator. The firmament is declaring his handiwork, his intention, his design. He showed it unto them. For the invisible things, are Yeah, verse 20, for the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are clearly seeing, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, again, they have the truth, but they hold it in unrighteousness. They know there's a creator. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And instead of worshiping the creator, here's what they did, okay? So I know the truth, God's been revealed, I know that there is a God, but instead I'm gonna give my life to the study of the proofs for why, all the ways and all the reasons we can ignore him and worship the creature instead of the creator. Watch this, professing themselves to be wise. There are people with PhDs, we call them doctors and professor. Okay, In our our colleges, they profess themselves to be wise. They're really foolish, denying the Lord. Watch this, here's how they do it. Verse 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. So they're rejecting the creator for creation and God says, well, okay, if that's what you want, right back at you. Look at verse 24, wherefore? God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies, their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. Now this is important, you need to get this. What's happening is they have the truth, they know there is a God but he might have expectations and so they turn the truth into a lie so that they can do what they want in the flesh and God lets them do it. They they change the truth of God into a lie and what they do then is now the creature stands in the place of God as God showing himself he's his own final authority. You see it's the spirit of antichrist at work in the lost world. Now this is key Because no one, and this is critical, this is the part, this is the hinge on on which everything turns, okay? So particularly, um, get this apologetic concept down because this will help you in discussion with the lost. No one can, apart from God's word, say what happens one second beyond death. And you better know what's gonna happen after you draw your last breath. You say, well, okay. That's just, that's it, that's, you, you cease to be. It's lights out, there is no more existence after the last heartbeat. Do you know that? Can you prove that? Do you know that for sure? You better know because what if after the last heartbeat there is a heaven and there is a hell? What are you gonna do now? You better know what happens after the last heartbeat and apart from the Bible you can't know Nobody has ever came back to prove definitively what's there. So that's the big question. And you better know because guess what? You're gonna have a last heartbeat. You're gonna have a last breath. Do you know what's gonna happen to you after that? Oh, I just wanna stick my my head in the sand and say that'll just be the end of me. And so I'm gonna live my life like I want. I'm gonna do what I want. If it feels good to me, I'm gonna do it. If it seems right to me, that's what's gonna happen. And then whenever I die... I did it my way. Okay, and so now that's just the end. You're so sure. You can't know outside of this book. Okay, so ignoring this book, what creation is saying, you better find out. You can't look one second beyond death, but you have to know what happens beyond death, so where do you look? I mean, how do you know what's really true? So get this down in your notes. Outside of God's word, you cannot see into the future. But you can look into the past, can't you? And when you look into the past and you see creation for what it is, and, and anyone who is intellectually honest will say it is fearfully and wonderfully made, the cosmos is brilliant and it is actually very finely tuned to enable my life to exist. Even the Milky Way itself is set up so that my life can exist. So I can't look into the future but I can see into the past and I can see the design of creation and what does the evidence say? So get this down in your notes. Everything points to a creator. Everything, the heavens really do declare the person of God and it's obvious in all the natural world. Hebrews chapter one verse 10 says, and thou O Lord in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. If you look into the past, you find God Psalms 139 verse 14 says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. If you're going to be honest with the evidence, you know what the truth is. You know that God is, the creator is. The question is, will you you trade? Will you change the truth of God into a lie so that you can live the corrupt works that you want to live? I don't want to submit my life to God. I want to do what I want to do. The psalmist says, I know the truth, there is a creator. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are God's works, I know this. Don't you know that you are an incredibly complex creation? God designed you, God built you. You know Darwin said that if it's ever shown that life is dependent upon, right? Life is dependent upon mechanical processes or, or biological machinery, then the whole theory falls apart. Darwin said that. The theory of evolution does not work if it requires machinery for life. Now, if it can be shown, if it's if the evidence comes out and it reveals that all life is dependent upon chemical processes and and the right energy injections at the right fortuitous, fortuitous moments and all like if, if it's all biochemical, well then he's gonna stick with his theory of evolution. But if it's reliant upon machinery, then evolution, sorry it doesn't hold water. Darwin said that. Okay, so don't you know that you're a meat robot running on wetware? Did you know that? You may not, you, you may not even know how you're built, but you are a, you are a, you are a meat robot. <laughs> Bone and meat, lipids and protein, you're a meat robot running on wetware. I mean, your brain, that, it's an amazing device on the cellular level. We'll look at all of this when we get to Genesis chapter two and verse seven. You find out how infinitely and intricately designed and made we are. The cellular level engines, multiple engines that enable life to be possible just on the cellular level. Electron motors, protein robots, DNA programming. I mean, it's just incredible. The DNA programming that's in your body would put to shame the greatest of men's programming designs. It is incredible and everything's designed to self-replicate and build out, I mean it builds from, from, from two cells, right? Two, two, two people, right? Two lives becoming one and it generates another meat robot running on wetware and it's a living soul, I mean it's just, it's incredible. So how does a fool get off track and miss the creator and say, I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna worship myself? John chapter 1 look at verse 1. Here's what happens in the case of the fool. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and the word was God. The word was God. And you get down to verses 13 and 14 and you find out who he is. The, there can be no mistake. What's the word's name in John 1:1? Jesus. Okay, if you're newer, you haven't been coming long, you just need to know that anytime there's a question from the front, Half the time, fully 50 percent, the right answer is Jesus, OK? <laughs> Jesus, in the beginning was Jesus in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him. In Jesus was life. Now watch this. and the life was the light of men. That sun of righteousness is shining to the world, right? From day after day. The sun enlightens the whole of the earth, so also it is with the creator. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Here's the problem. Men are corrupt, they have done abominable works, there's none that doeth good. Verse five says, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. The light shining, the evidence of the creator is there, but, but corrupt workers don't want to submit to him. I've told this story three or four times over the years here at MBT and it's so good I'm gonna tell it again because it fits. I uh, came to Kansas City for an engineering degree, got my engineering degree but by the time I graduated I realized I had to go to Bible school. I needed to learn my Bible and how to use it and and so you couldn't get an engineering job uh, back in 89, 90 because uh, the the industrial military complex had laid off a bunch of workers. There was like 2,000 experienced engineers looking for work in Kansas City at the time. So I took a sales job out in Lenexa, Kansas. And I had my commute. And today I'm, I'm driving home in my 65 Mustang. And yes, it's sweet. It was a sweet 65 Mustang. Uh, Cranberry. Uh, anyway, that doesn't matter. So I'm listening to NPR on the way home. And the discussion, the program was they're talking about origins. How did we get here? I mean, how did the universe be? I mean, how is it possible that everything's perfect for us to exist? What about the complexity of life? And so they're discussing origins and this guy who is a self-proclaimed atheist, uh, he made a statement that floored me. Uh, I wish I would have I I uh, written and gotten the exact quote. I mean, whatever. I, but I, I remember this like it was yesterday. This is not word perfect, but I guarantee I'm accurately paraphrasing it. And what this self-proclaimed atheist said about the origins of everything, he says the only logical explanation to our origin is the Genesis creation account. But then that would have negative consequences for our sexual liberties. So there has to be another way, another answer. There's gotta be another solution. I mean, he just came right out and said it. The only thing that makes sense is Genesis, but that's in the Bible and the Bible talks about what my sexuality is for and I don't like it and so I'm just gonna ignore God. Sue Bolin, in, in just talking about James Shire's book, The Universe Next Door, uh, sums this up so, so beautifully. I want to read this to you. She says, the most basic question of life may well be, why is there something rather than nothing? Why am I here? Why is anything here at all? She says, even Maria Von Trapp in the movie The Sound of Music knew the answer to this one. When she and the captain are singing their love to each other in the gazebo, she croons, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. That's right on point. Why are we here? The fact that we're here is proof. The only thing that ever came from nothing was nothing. Everybody knows that. But naturalism, the belief that says there is no reality beyond the physical universe, offers two answers to this basic question. And until a few years ago, the hopeful wish of naturalism was that matter's eternal. In other words, they say the universe has always existed and always will. So there's no point to asking why, because the universe simply is. So instead of the creator, they just say, well, the universe is. End of discussion. Unfortunately for naturalism, the evidence has come from our studies of astronomy. It makes it clear that the universe is unwinding In a sense at one point it was more tightly wound up and the evidence says that at some point in the past there was a beginning and matter is most definitely not eternal and that's a major problem for a naturalist who believes that everything that now is came from nothing or it always was or first there was nothing and then there was something but nothing caused something to come into existence and then she astutely says huh? That's another term for duh, you know. Okay so, pantheism on the other hand is the belief that everything is part of some great oneness. And pantheism, the word pantheism comes from two Greek words meaning pan, pan meaning everything, and theos meaning God. And pantheism says that all is one and all is God and therefore we are one with the universe, therefore we are God. We're all part of that impersonal divinity that makes up the universe. And in answering the question why there's something rather than nothing, pantheism says that everything had an impersonal beginning. The universe itself is the intelligence that brought itself into being. The universe created itself. When have you ever seen that? This can of of, uh, grapefruit, orange, sparkling water. Um, There was no There was no um, canner that produced this. This thing created itself. Now if I actually, intellectually, honestly believe that, that this can of sparkling water created itself, you would say I was crazy. That's what you would say. It's not very PC, but that's accurate. Hmm. And it's good. I mean, it's probably my favorite orange grape. Okay, so anyway. So the universe brings its—it's it's the intelligence that brings itself into being. The something that exists is simply how energy expresses itself. If you've seen the movie Star Wars, then you have seen the ideas of pantheism depicted as that impersonal energy for, that energy field called the force. Right? This is Lucas expressing a, a pantheistic approach to to creation. Since the beginning, sorry, Star Wars fans, if that sounds like an insult against Lucas, but there it is. Okay, so, since the beginning of the universe has had an impersonal origin, the pantheists say, the question of why gets sidestepped. Just like naturalism, pantheism basically says we don't have a good answer to that question, so we're, gonna, we're just, we're just going to ignore it, we're not going to think about it. On the other hand, Christian theism is the belief that God is a personal, transcendent creator of the universe and of us. This worldview, she says, showed up on a t-shirt I saw recently and it said this. There are two things in life that you can be sure of. Number one, there is a God. Number two, you are not him. Because Christian theism answers the question why there is something rather than nothing by confidently asserting that first there was a God and nothing else. There has to be a first cause, and this first cause has to exist outside of time-space, doesn't he? We exist, creation exists on a space-time continuum, and we see it as something, and every something, right? I mean, the only thing that comes from nothing is what? Nothing. The cosmos is something. It had to come then from something else, that exists outside or beyond space-time. And the Bible simply, elegantly, succinctly gives us the answer, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. He creates space-time. Now you're either gonna believe that or you're not. And can can I just tell you, it takes less faith to follow Christian theism than it does to follow the naturalistic or the pantheistic I mean, that takes a lot of faith because you have to believe that it always was this something had no source or it created itself. <laughs> that takes more faith. Hebrews 11:6 tells you without faith it's impossible to please him, to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So whatever you believe, you're gonna take a faith position Believing the Bible takes actually less faith. There was a first cause. The supernatural created the natural. Now, if you're looking, okay, if you're gonna be honest about what the information the, the heavens declare, if you're gonna be honest about the evidence of creation, you're gonna notice some things about God, and what I want us to see this morning is you'll notice he is first, he is very big, and he is very good. Let's talk about it briefly and, and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be dismissed here in a moment. First of all, God is first in the beginning, right? God acted in the beginning, God. God what? Well, he created the heaven and the earth. So this is the beginning of time, not actually eternity, right? Before creation, God was. So this is the beginning, not of eternity, but time. Eternity, by definition, has no end or beginning. It exists outside of space-time. You can use the symbol for infinity to describe eternity. It's that laying down figure eight. It has no beginning, no end, it just always is. Uh, So also is eternity. It has no beginning, it has no end, and that is God, he has no beginning, he has no end. That will, that will hurt your brain if you think about it too long because you don't have the capacity to understand it. For you and I, everything has a beginning and an end. Uh, we think in terms of space time. We live on that continuum. Not God, he's outside of it. So good luck. If you can get your head around that, you've got a good shot at getting your head around God. I don't think I ever will. So what this shows us is that time itself is a parenthesis in the plan of God. That's your next blank. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth and as you study your Bible, as the earth begins, so it ends. From eternity past, we end up in eternity future. Now, we'll talk about this next time, but actually the date of the beginning, we don't know it biblically. The date of Genesis 1-1 cannot be determined. You can't tell it from the biblical text. And we're not saying that because we're trying to make space for evolution in order to get to Adam, to get to homo sapien, we're not doing that. God didn't use evolution to get to Adam. Uh, we'll explain why we don't know the date of Genesis 1-1 next week. So if the Lord tarries and the creek don't rise, we'll, 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 we'll look at that. Actually, we're gonna see the fall of Satan himself in creation. But that's the question, how old is the cosmos? Was the galaxy created to look mature? I mean, when God created Adam, one minute into his life, was he an eight pound, nine ounce baby? No, he was a full grown, God made him a full grown, fully mature man. Well, so also creation. Is creation 6,000 years old? I don't know the date for Genesis 1-1, but I know the date for Adam, and it was approximately 6,000 years ago, according to the biblical timeline. That was 6,000 years ago. People ask, did God use geological eras? And does that fit in Genesis chapter one? Or is Genesis chapter one a series of literal 24 hour time periods? And what you're gonna see as we get through Genesis chapter one is evolution is soundly refuted by the word of God because evolution requires the survival of the fittest, right? It's generations, millions of years, millions of generations of birth, life and death. So it's impossible that God used evolution to get to Adam because Romans 5.12 tells us, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So if Adam is the first sinner and that's what caused the first death to begin to occur on planet earth, well then there's no room for evolution. Do you see that? Because evolution requires generation upon generation. But there are many Christian Christians who call themselves theistic evolution adherents and they think that Genesis 1 describes epochs of time over millions perhaps a billion years and that's how God got to homo sapiens or Adam well then you got to you got to throw Romans 5:12 out of your bible The first man that ever died died because Adam sinned that's where it starts and we'll get you the lowdown on the timeline next week. Okay, point number three. You're gonna see from creation that God is big. So big, in fact, that we're gonna punt on putting the explanation point on this statement, God is big. We're gonna wait till we get to chapter one, verse 16. But what we're gonna see is creation is massive. It's a massive creation because we serve an infinite God. God is infinite so also is capacity to create. So stick with us, we're gonna see. The universe is mind-blowingly huge. It's massive. But this is what the Bible says. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. So the, right there, you, you've got the start of everything. God created. That gives you the source and the force for creation. Where did the energy come from to put the universe in motion? Well, God created. That's how. How is it ordered to perfection in order to make life possible? Well, God created. He is the source and he is the force. The word for God, you need to know this, the Hebrew word here is Elohim. It's translated as God and it's used over 2,500 times in the Old Testament. And what Elohim is is a uniplural noun. What does that mean? Well because three are one. It's a uniplural noun used with singular verbs. In Genesis 1.26, watch this now, God is spoken as a plural Elohim, but with the singular verb. God said, let us, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So notice the pronouns, God describing himself is using the plural, because God is three persons in one. You see it again in Genesis chapter 11, verses six and eight. God is shown in the plural and the singular at the same time. Genesis eleven six. God says and the Lord said, Lord singular, Jehovah uh, said, behold, the people is one. They have all one language and this they began to do and now nothing will be restrained from them which they imagined to do. These guys are gonna get in trouble so let's mix up their language so they can't understand one another's speech and so the Lord scattered them. So notice what he said, let us go down. So the Lord, singular, describes himself in the plural. Deuteronomy six, verse four, gives you more insight. here. O Israel, the Lord, anytime you see capital L-O-R-D in your Bible, that's actually an English representation of the name Jehovah, or Yahweh, okay? The Jehovah, our God, our Elohim, that's the uniplural word for God, is one Jehovah, one Lord. So Deuteronomy 6 could be literally, if it was transliterated, it would be Jehovah our Elohim is a united or a one Jehovah. So that word one refers to unity, the unity of the Elohim. It's the same word, this word one is the same word used in Genesis 2.24 to describe a husband and wife. They two shall be one flesh. And that's exactly what Christ does in the church, isn't it? In Christ there's neither Jew nor Gentile but one new man. Uh, for us to live as Christ. We know no man after the flesh. There's no longer, well, our, our, our fleshly human divisions, that doesn't work anymore. That doesn't cut it anymore. For us to live as Christ. And it keeps going. Proverbs 30 verse four tells us that the creator has, right, God has a son. Proverbs 30 verse four says, Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? or Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is the creator's name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Well, I thought the word, Jesus created everything. Yes, but all three members of the Godhead were involved in creation, and so I'm gonna give that to you as homework. Here's your homework. Study the Father, the Spirit, the Son, in the act of creation. And i give you the cross references for it. You can do that this week. So it's God, Elohim. God created the heaven and the earth. So there you have space time. Matter and space all in their proper place. Genesis 1:1 gives you the element of time, shows you the source of creation, the force behind it. It shows you how space and matter, it's a simple explanation for everything in verse one. Genesis 1-1 also reveals the five essential properties of science. Time is an essential scientific property. In the beginning, there's the beginning of time. By the way, only the Bible, of all sacred literature, only the Bible shows God himself as the originator of time. You won't find that anywhere else. It's right there in Genesis 1-1. The second essential property of science is force. The energy is God himself motion, created, space, the heaven, that space, and matter, and the earth. But Genesis 1:1 also destroys the wrong thinking of man. It destroys atheism because it reveals God. It destroys polytheism because it's not many gods, it's one God in three persons. It destroys evolution. God didn't grow creation in lab condition. No, God created. He spoke and it was. It destroys pantheism because God is shown to be separate from his creation. God creates space time for this drama of life to play out in. He exists outside of it. He is separate from his creation. And it messes with the natural, the naturalists, right? The eternity of matter. No, it had a beginning. It wasn't eternal. And it takes away the platform of ecstasy, I can't say the word, existentialism. Did I say that right? Existentialism. existentialism. There we go. Thank you. Man, it's like cinnamon, 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 or aluminum. I get I get stuck on words. Okay. No, it, it takes out existentialism. I said it right that time. Existentialism. It just ta- It takes the feet out from underneath it because God had a purpose in creating everything. And then before we close, there's one more thing I want you to see. If you really look at creation, you're gonna see that God is good. Genesis 1-1 obliterates foolish thinking. What you're gonna discover, especially as we look at the book of Genesis, the message of Genesis is that the creator wants his blessing for everyone. And yes, that includes you. There there really is a God and he really does know who you are and he actually wants, I mean he really does want a relationship with you. It's not like the deists, okay? The deists say, yeah, there's a creator God, but he's so massive. He's, so, he's like the titans, I mean he's just so massive. He'll never know who you are, never care. He doesn't even know you exist. The creator is that massive. What you are to the creator is the same thing that a bacterium in your gut is to you. It's there, it's part of who you are, it's part of your life, but you have no relationship with it, you never will. That's the deist mindset. And so since we can't know the creator, we want to know the lesser beings that he created, the gods, right, the, de- the deities, the deities. We're gonna, we're gonna pursue a relationship with them. That will be the lie of the end times, okay? In the days leading up to Christ's second coming, people will worship the antichrist as a, as a deity, right? They'll worship him as a god. That's a lie out of the pit of hell. No, you look at what God created and you know he is a God of rich blessing. Man, isn't in the spring the sunshine on your face? Isn't that wonderful? Have you ever been to the lake? Have you ever been to the ocean? Have you ever been to the mountains? Have you ever looked at the plains? God, have you ever looked at the sky? God is an artist and it's beautiful. Have you ever just looked at a tree? Boys, have you ever just looked at a girl? My goodness, he's an artist. I mean he's it's amazing. He is a God who is blessing, of rich blessing. But here's the problem. Our rebellion against God, our sin, separates us from him. Our sin separates us from a holy, loving God. The Bible says in Romans three twenty three that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Romans six twenty three, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, eternal separation from the Creator. But God is so big and he's so good, he makes sure that you cannot miss him. He's so big, he's so good, you will not miss him. God's not willing that you would perish. He's willing that you'd be saved. You say, well, I'm gonna stick my head in the sand and you may call me a fool, but I'm gonna say there's no God. Uh, Good luck with that because you're gonna meet him face to face. He will not miss you. Hebrews 9.27 says and as it is appointed unto men once to die but after this the judgment. Revelation 20 verse 11 says I saw a great white throne and him that sat upon it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. At the end of everything there will be a judgment and humanity will stand before creator. There was no place found for them. I saw the dead and the small and great stand before God and the books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Man, I am so glad I'm not gonna stand before the Lord on that day. I'm so glad that I was judged, my sin was judged, my works were judged 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. I'm so grateful that in Revelation chapter 20, I'll be in the person of Christ. I'll be with Jesus at that judgment day not standing before him being judged according to my works. And if you stick your head in the sand and say there is no God, because you have corruption that you wanna follow and you're gonna follow your own way, you will stand before a righteous and holy God and you're gonna be judged according to what you did, not according to what Christ did. When God looks at me, he sees my life judged at Calvary. I'm reckoned dead in Christ, buried with him crucified with Christ, buried with him in his death, and then raised with him to eternal life. Because at 12 years of age, I cried out, God have mercy on me, I'm a sinner, forgive me. Come into my heart and life, save me. Lord Jesus, I give you my life. Please give me yours. And he did, we're saved by grace through faith. So go ahead and miss the proofs for God now, but you're not gonna duck him forever. I want you to see God's heart for you in Second Corinthians chapter six. He says, walk away from your life in the world and then watch this, verse 18, and I will be a father unto you and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. See, in John 3, 16, God's not willing that you perish. He wants you to have eternal life. God so loved you that he gave you his only begotten son that if you just believe in him, you'd not perish, but you'd have his life. Man, that is the trade of trades. That's the deal of deals, isn't it? I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's seek the Lord.